Our nation has set aside this one day of the year to join our hearts and voices in remembering the, the beautiful and bountiful blessings that our Creator, our God, showers upon us. One of the things that we're thankful for is God's perseverance. Not only has God created us in everything that we see, but God also keeps it going. He keeps us going. I once read about a woman who was driving home when she noticed that there was a large truck behind her. The truck was uncomfortably close, and so she sped up. And as she sped up, the truck sped up. The faster she drove, the faster it drove. She nervously got off the freeway, and she noticed that the truck got off the freeway right behind her as well. She then turned up the main street, hoping to lose her pursuer in the traffic, but the truck ran a red light and continued the chase. And reaching near panic, the woman whipped her car into a gas station and bolted out of her car screaming for help. And the truck driver at the same time sprang from his truck and he ran to her car, yanking the back door open. And there the driver pulled out a man who had hidden himself in the back seat of the woman's car. From the high vantage point, the truck driver had spotted a would-be attacker in the woman's car. The chase was not an effort to harm the lady, but to save her, even at the risk of the trucker's own safety. Psalm 31 verse 23 says, The Lord preserves the faithful. In other words, the Lord pursues us, his people, in order to take care of us. He watches over us. His plans for us are good. And he even rescues us from hidden dangers and sins that we cannot see. As the last verse of Psalm 121 states, The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And so this night, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your preservation. Yes, we praise you, O God, our Creator, for your preservation. Thank you, Lord for your protection. Protection is a big business. Insurance is a multi-billion dollar industry. You can purchase protection in case of fire and theft, accident, poor health, almost any type of loss. You can buy protection for just about anything today. That kind of protection does no good though. For a daughter who screams in the night, Mommy, Daddy, I'm afraid, come and stay with us, or stay with me. The child perceives protection in terms of presence. So does the frail woman who is hospitalized, who's dying in her bed. Her cries, though often silent, are not much different. Lord, Father in heaven, protect me, I'm afraid, come and stay with me. Insurance is good stewardship of what the Lord has given us. But the insurance you can buy is limited in the kind of peace that it can give. The protection the world needs against anxiety and fear, the protection that securely transports us even through death, is a kind of protection that cannot be purchased. For it is divine protection. 
It is the protection that comes only through the person of Jesus Christ. And by his death and his resurrection, he purchased for us the protection that we need for eternal life. And what promise of protection do we have from our Lord? The word of Jesus says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. We praise you, O God, our creator. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your protection. We sing our next hymn. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Mercy can be defined as God's inexhaustible and infinite compassion towards those whom he loves. In Elmer Burdenden's book, The Full the fall of fortresses, the author describes one bombing run over the German city of Kassel. He writes, a B-17 was barraged by, or our B-17 was barraged by enemy fire from the Nazis, from their anti-aircraft guns. That was not unusual, but this time our gas tanks were hit. It was no less than a miracle that a 20 millimeter shell pierced the gas tank of the plane without touching off an explosion. He continues, but on the morning following the raid, after the plane had returned safely, I learned that it wasn't quite that simple. As crew chief, I was told that it wasn't one shell that hit, but 11 unexploded shells had been found in the gas tank. This would have been sufficient to blast the plane right out of the sky. That morning, the shells were sent to ballistic experts to be diffused. I was then given the news that as each shell was opened, it had no explosive charge. The shells were clean as a whistle and just as harmless. Empty? Not all of them. One of the shells contained a carefully rolled piece of paper and on the paper was written in check, this is all that we can do for you now. Our sinful condition is an offense to God. The fact is God has every right to shoot us down, to condemn us to hell because of our disobedience and rebellion. Our appropriate prayer is, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And God does indeed show his mercy he re reveals his grace and kindness to us in Christ. And instead of giving us what we deserve, he puts our guilt on the shoulders of his son Jesus, who lived and died and came to life again, so that we who live might die to sin and live forevermore with him. Truly, his mercies are new every morning. And so we praise you, O God, our Creator, we praise you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. In the first part of the 15th century, a French peasant by the name of Joan was called to save her country from its enemies. Her strong sense of mission helped her sweep away the armies that were before her. She sent a thrill of enthusiasm through the French army such as neither king, statesman, nor president could produce. On one occasion, she said to one of her generals, 
I will lead the men over the wall. And the general said, not a man will follow you. And Joan of Arc replied, I won't be looking back to see if they're following me. It was that kind of commitment that made Joan of Arc a national hero for the French. She was successful in delivering them from their English enemies, but she herself fell into English hands. And as she was being burned at the stake, this 19-year-old was given a chance to recant. She was given a chance to betray her country. She was given a chance for liberty and freedom, but she chose the fire. Going to her death, Joan of Arc made this statement. Every man gives his life for what he believes, and every woman gives her life for what she believes. Sometimes people believe in little, or they believe in nothing, and yet they give their lives to that little or that nothing. One life is all that we have. We live it, and it's gone. But to live without belief is more terrible than dying, even more terrible than dying young. Joan of Arc sacrificed herself for a cause that was greater than herself. But how much greater is the sacrifice that Christ Jesus offered on another stake called the cross? St. John tells us that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. It is that good news that moves and motivates us. Sadly, tragically, a large percentage of our population knows little or nothing about Jesus and the price that he paid for our sins. And that void gives us a purpose beyond ourselves, As we heed St. Paul's words, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so tonight, we thank you, O God. We thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for your guidance and strength. Have you ever been spelunking? A spelunker is one who explores caves. A pastor told a story that happened to him when he was a child. It happened when he was at a church camp in Hannibal, Missouri, where his father was the camp director. He writes, every year the entire camp would have the opportunity to explore a nearby cave. The owner of this cave knew that there was very little risk involved because of all the tunnels being circular. On one occasion, though, two girls did get lost in the cave. The owner was called in, and he knew there was only one place that they could be. And so he confidently guided the camp leaders to the girls, and there the girls were discovered, scared almost to death. Their flashlights had gone out, and they could not see the way. Can you imagine their joy when they saw the lights coming toward them? When they saw the light, they knew they were rescued.
we Christians also have a light that guides our way. It's a light that gives us strength and courage to go on. Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, the light of the world, came to this earth to rescue us. To rescue us from the cave of despair called sin. And he allowed himself to be put on a cursed cross to be killed. His victory over death became our victory. And through faith, his strength now becomes our strength. How freeing it is to be found by the light, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we praise you, O God, our Redeemer, for your guidance and your strength. Thank you, Lord, for your saving power. Power. The word sounds like its meaning. Power. It's a word with many different meanings. Baseball teams look for power hitters. Football teams talk about their powerful lineups. The golfer knows of a young pro like Rory McIlroy, who swings a powerful club and is one of the longest hitters on the tour. Salespeople promise that their product has a powerful punch to it. And we talk about the power of the press and power lunches. But what about God's power? His saving power? God's power is so different from the world's. God's saving power is revealed in a mocked man hanging on a cross. I mean, Jesus had the power to heal the sick and raise the dead and, and feed the hungry. But Jesus didn't use his power to save himself from a terrible death on the cross. Many consider the cross to be a sign of weakness. In actuality, it is the greatest symbol of strength, power. God's power is made perfect in weakness. God's power was revealed to us in submission and servanthood and humility. It is this power, hidden in the cross of Christ, that saves us from all the powers of this world that would harm us. This saving power of the cross empowers us to share the good news of God's love and God's power with all who live in worldly weakness. As Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Are you living in God's power? Or are you still trying to live by your own strength? Are you walking according to the flesh? Or are you walking according to the power of the Spirit? We can agree with St. Paul once more when he says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because then, as Paul says, I am not relying on my power. I am relying on your power, O God, upon your grace. Today we thank God for the power of Jesus Christ, which is at work within us, his dear children, through his word and through his sacraments. And so we praise you, O God. We praise you for your saving power. Thank you, Lord, 
for the hope of heaven. Buddhists and Hindus believe that they will undergo repeated rebirths, transmigrating from existence to existence. They believe that there is a continuing cycle as they are reincarnated into other bodies. The Taoist, well, he treats death with indifference. Islamic belief recognizes seven heavens, places of carnal pleasure and spiritual bliss. American Indian culture speaks of the happy hunting ground. Those adherents of Judaism who believe in a heaven hope that their good deeds will earn them a place in heaven and that they'll be rewarded in heaven for those good deeds. God's word, however, paints a different picture. The Christian has a confident hope of heaven because of what Jesus has done through his death and his resurrection. St. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil, never perish or fade. It's an inheritance that's being kept in heaven for you. We Christians respond, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We praise you, O God, our sanctifier, for the hope of heaven, for the hope of life everlasting. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, with our gifts of love. Much of Europe was ravaged. It was ravaged by the devastating war, World War II. Perhaps the saddest sight of all was that of a little orphan boy or orphan children starving in the streets of those war-torn cities. Early one chilly morning, a soldier was making his way to the barracks in London when he spotted a little boy with his nose pressed against the window of a pastry shop. Inside, the cook was kneading dough for a fresh batch of donuts. The hungry boy stared in silence, watching every move of the baker. The soldier's heart went out to the nameless orphan as he stood beside him, watching him stare at the fresh pastries being pulled from the oven. And finally, the soldier said to the boy, Would you like some of those? And the boy was startled. Why, of course I would. So the soldier stepped inside and he bought a dozen, putting them in a bag. And he walked back to where the lad was standing and he held out the bag and he said, Here you are, son. And as the soldier turned to walk away, he felt a slight tug on his coat. And he looked back and he heard the child quietly ask, Mister, Mister, are you God? As we reflect on how thankful we are to be baptized children of God, we come to realize that godliness is closely connected with giving. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The fact is, without a Savior, we would be merely orphaned sinners, standing on the outside of the kingdom of God, starved of God's goodness. But God is good. He is merciful and kind. And He has given. In response to His gift of love in Christ, we offer our gifts of love through our gifts and tithes. And so we thank and we worship You, O Holy Spirit, 
for your gift of love.